Ready? Three, two, one, now. guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome to Pop Ticket. I'm Dee. I'm Kester. We like movies. And we love each other. For this week's episode, we watched Clue, 1985, a dark comedy murder mystery based off of the board game of the same name, starring a number of well-known actors such as Tim Curry and Christopher Lloyd. Clue was written and directed by Jonathan Lynn and produced by Deborah Hill, who we know from our previous episode co-wrote Halloween with John Carpenter. This movie is so special to me and is my favorite standalone film of all time. Um, When Clue first came out, it was met with mixed reviews and did pretty poorly at the box office, which is honestly so shocking to me because I think it's a brilliant movie filled with witty humor and a genuine mystery because in keeping with the nature of the board game, the movie actually has three possible endings. As a part of a gimmick when the movie was first released in theaters, each theater only showed one of the three possible endings, so you could have gone to see Clue in a theater in one town, then go over to the next town and get a completely different ending. I think that this was a brilliant idea on their part and was super unique. Um, I also think it's a big reason why it became such a cult classic. It definitely gets a little confusing, and we'll go over each ending and which one we believe makes the most sense within the context of the movie. If you haven't watched it, please do before listening to this episode. It's genuinely hilarious, and we're going to spoil the shit out of it. Yeah, it's going to be really hard not to quote literally the entire movie, and we'll try to add as many of the most like hilarious lines from this as we can, because they're too good not to show in some way here. Without further ado, here's Clue, 1985. The movie opens up with a scroll of the actors' names playing over this really wicked score. This movie gives a very vague location as being in New England, where, you know, I'm from. And I forgot that this is supposed to be in the 1950s. And it's also said that this house is the Hill House, which is actually in reference to the haunting of Hill House. And there's a a series of um, novels and games and movies that have all been set at something called Hill House that's supposed to be in, like, this old part of New England with, like, where all these old mansions are, and there's quite a few references to it in horror and other kinds of movies, as well as mystery movies, so I found that it really interesting, like, looking back at this movie, that this is Hill House. After the area, time, etc. is introduced, we meet our first character, who is played by King Tim Curry, known for Dr. Frankenfurter of Rocky Horror Picture Show and the original Pennywise the Clown as well as the Professor in the satire series Scary Movie 2. He has been given instructions to use a fake name and not discuss details with the rest of the guests that will be arriving. Wadsworth does a lot of pushing the plot forward in this movie and he is I would say the main character from the jump you get that this is going to be a funny movie because he like steps in dog shit and then like feeds these giant German shepherds Mm -hmm. this like ham hawk or something and in this first scene um, where they introduce Wadsworth and the characters um, that are already in the house seems long, but it does a really good job in establishing how big the house is, um, who's already in the house, how far they are from the road, and each of the iconic rooms that we see in the board game. It also sets up a lot of little details that will come into play later on in the movie. Um, and it should be noted that all of the rooms are in the in the correct order as they appear in the board game, and so are the secret passageways to the other rooms that we'll see later as well, which is an excellent attention to detail on the set designer's part, in my opinion. So after Wadsworth arrives and talks to uh, the cook and the maid Yvette, we meet the rest of the cast of characters. We're j- just to go through who they are. They're also, you know, known. F- characters named Mm -hmm. from the characters you can play as in the game. Mm -hmm. 
So we have Wadsworth and Yvette and the cook, who are supposed to be, like, the workers of the house. And then we have Colonel Mustard, Mrs. White, Mrs. Peacock, Miss Scarlet, Professor Plum, Mr. Green, and finally Mr. Body. Who we'll see in a little bit. Each character introduction gives us a quick glimpse into their personalities, Mrs. White being mysterious, Colonel Mustard, Loki being a pig when he stares at Yvette's titties, Miss Scarlet being seductive, etc., etc. It's important to note that these are not their real names. We'll find out why later, but they're using aliases, which I think is a creative distinction from the board game, because I'm pretty sure within the you know context of the board game, those are their actual names. Yeah, I think this is just like a plot narrative. Yeah. At this point, we do not know who knows what and who's supposed to be who, but we will learn quickly. Wadsworth does seem to know the most and is constantly avoiding detailed questions because he's received a more detailed set of instructions that we will see later, and it does support one of the three endings. And let me just say, Mrs. White's outfit is high-key fire because she's wearing this black petticoat, looks like she's going to a funeral, but then she takes it off and it's bright white on the inside of the jacket, and I'm just saying... She's fitted up. Yeah, and that's kind of funny because later on in the movie, though, um, Wadsworth says, she's like, she looks all pale and tragic. Remember that one line? (laughs) (laughs) He's pale and tragic. Because she's wearing, like, that hat that you would normally see, like, widows wear at a funeral. Yeah, she was wearing, like, a morning outfit. So it's interesting to note, I actually saw this on the Amazon trivia page um, as we were watching the movie, but... Each of the uh, women in the movie are wearing the opposite color of their namesake and what they wear in the board game, like the little figurines. So Miss Scarlet, she wears red as the little figurine, but in the movie she wears green. And Mrs. White uh, wears white, obviously, but in the movie she wears black. And it's also interesting to note that each of their cars match the color that their namesake wears in the board game. So it's just, like, another, like, little, like, these little details that just make the movie even better. Yeah. I, I, I never, I didn't notice the cars, mm-hmm. but I do see the outfits. Mm-hmm. As all the guests arrive, though, they are put into the library until it's time for dinner. Uh, as we said, we kind of see Colonel being a pig towards Yvette. We see Mr. Green kind of being nervous around all these people. He's a very neurotic person. Mrs. White, it seems a little bit like, what's the word I'm looking for? Apprehensive or, you know, just kind of disgusted towards Yvette? I mean, she doesn't like any, I don't think Mrs. White likes anybody. <laughs> she, True. She's just like, eh, I'd kill you. When the dinner scene starts, though, so does this movie. The dinner scene um, taking place in the dining room, obviously, as a whole, is incredibly revealing. We learn a lot about the characters just based on the conversation that Mrs. Peacock awkwardly starts. Mrs. Peacock is a senator's wife, and I, you know, she mentions this, and I find it hilarious because I feel like every senator's wife is forced to say that they're a senator's wife in every sentence that they have. And then as they go around the cast of characters, they ask each other what they do or what their husband does, if it's a woman, because, you know, men are sexist. And so Mrs. White is asked what her husband does, and she says... Lies around on his back all day. Which will come back later. We also see again that, like, every man in this movie is low-key a creep except for Wadsworth and Mr. Green. As the dinner scene goes on, we don't learn a lot more about the occupations of everyone. Really a humble butler. Exactly do you do. A butler, sir. Mr. Body is the last to arrive, and as he realizes who everyone is, he tries to leave quickly without provocation. He really wants to get out of the house, but... Wadsworth tells him he's not going to be able to, but we never really find out why Mr. Body wants to leave. Like, we assume it's because he's blackmailing all these people, but then he, like, has a plan for all these people at the same time this night. So it's like, why is he trying to go if he has a plan? Yeah, he's a really mysterious character, and for reasons, again, we'll find out later. He's also a major plot hole. Like, (laughs) his whole character is just, like... Why is he doing the things that he's... Why is he acting in the certain way that he is? It just doesn't make sense for the final ending. I just... We'll get to that, though. 
But as they retire to the study for coffee and brandy, as Wadsworth says, the six main characters slowly demand to know more about why they're there. And Wadsworth has an envelope with his name on it that tells him to open it after dinner, I believe, right? Yes. So he goes one by one and he exposes that they are all being blackmailed by the same person. At the end of everyone getting exposed, it is revealed that Mr. Body is blackmailing them to nobody's surprise, really. He then hands them each presents from a bag that he brought with him, and as they open them one by one, we learn that each of the characters, minus Wadsworth, has been handed a weapon. This is similar, again, to the game, Mm -hmm. because part of the game is that there are cards that have weapons, there are cards that have clues, roll credits... But the music, while everyone opens their weapons and get exposed, is really great for suspense. And we see that consistently throughout the movie. That, like, for a movie that isn't a horror movie, it relies heavily on, like, really loud, really quick, heavy Mm -hmm. music. And I think the music is great, you know, between the soundtrack and the songs that are songs outside of the movie. And just this way that this is composed within the movie. It gets higher and faster Mm -hmm. in these moments of suspense and anxiety. The reveal of the weapons help make the aspects of the game and make sense within the context of the movie as well. Um, To save time, we'll talk about why they're being blackmailed and what weapon each of them received, though note that they did not receive their weapons until after being exposed in the movie. So, starting with Professor Plum, it is revealed that he was a psychiatrist who used to mess around with his patients, one patient in particular who we'll see later, and he was handed the revolver. Professor Plum, you were once a professor of psychiatry, specializing in helping paranoid and homicidal lunatics suffering from delusions of grandeur. Yes, but now I work for the United Nations. So your work has not changed. It's revealed that Mrs. Peacock is apparently taking bribes for votes for her husband, which, you know, just shows how corrupt politics is. And, of course, she vehemently denies this and is, you know, very dramatic and says, I do not. But she does. And she gets a dagger. Miss Scarlet is revealed to be a sex worker. And she runs a hotel slash phone service for lonely guys. She would definitely have an OnlyFans in 2020, which we support in this family. Because the use of one's body however they please is a right. For a weapon, she gets a candlestick. It's revealed that Mrs. White is being blackmailed because her husbands either keep disappearing or end up dead. Her last husband was found decapitated and castrated. And this is kind of a callback to um, the laying on his back all day line from earlier on. And for a weapon, she's given a noose. Mr. Green is revealed to be gay while working for the State Department, which is his you know, reason for being blackmailed because, of course, this is the 1950s. That's a big no-no because, you know, Jadger Hoover is a piece of shit and so was our country at the time. His weapon is a lead pipe. And let me just say that my man is always stressed. I mean, I understand if you're, you know, having to be in the closet and hide your identities, but, like, he, he's just, shit, he's going through I'd be through stressed, it too, if I would night. be in the 1950s. As me. me <laughs> Both of us in the 1950s. We're not, we're not one of those teenage TikTok girls that are like, I was born in the wrong decade. <laughs> like, now nah, I'm good. 2000s. I mean, it's shitty right now, let alone back in the 50s. <laughs> like, I know. Ain't that crazy. <laughs> Anyways, the reason Colonel Mustard is being blackmailed is left to be a little more ambiguous, but we know that it has something to do with visiting Miss Scarlet's uh, hotel, and there is more to it that we'll get into later, but there are pictures of him visiting Miss Scarlet's uh, services, and that's one of the reasons he's being blackmailed. The tracking shots holding on Wadsworth as he exposes everyone and walks to different parts of this study are really great. And I find it so funny how he like just kind of has a personal moment with them Mm -hmm. as he exposes their reason for being blackmailed. When it is revealed finally that Mr. Body is the one blackmailing them, everyone starts arguing and fighting and attacking each other and yelling. And they get to a point where Wadsworth is able to calm everyone down. By claiming that if they stop 
And if they snitch on Body for his blackmail with the evidence he has, because he is actually recording this conversation using Yvette in the next room, that Mr. Body won't be able to expose them all and he will go to jail for blackmail. Wadsworth reveals that the police are actually already on their way and should be there in about 45 minutes, even though this movie is much longer than that. I like that this movie establishes that there is kind of a time limit on their actions, even if it obviously doesn't like line up with how long the movie actually is. I think it's still interesting that they kind of use that. The word like, oh, there are, it's only 30 minutes left until the cops arrive. It's only 15 minutes left until the police come. It makes it feel like a board game. Yeah, and also just, again, establishes suspense. Like, okay, like we know that they're going to be here by a certain time, and then all of a sudden bodies start piling up everywhere. They're like, oh, shit we gotta figure this out before the police get here it definitely makes talking to the police a lot harder as everybody starts to die but that's besides the point when the lights go out there's a moment where we hear kind of shuffling and gasping and then all of a sudden a shot is fired and when the lights get turned back on we see that mr body is lying on the ground and at first they think he was shot but all hell breaks loose Because things just aren't adding up right now. They go to check Mr. Body's body (laughs) to see how he died. Professor Plum, for some reason, even though he's a psychiatrist, checks his vitals. I don't think he's certified to do that exactly. But then they keep going through the ways that he could have been killed. Looking at everybody's weapons. And somebody suggests that maybe he was poisoned as he drank the cognac. And Mrs. Peacock screams her freaking head off. Because she had just drank from the... She had drank the cognac, yeah. And because she's screaming and everybody's already confused, Mr. Green decides that he has to, you know, just give her a good one, you know? He has to hit her with that left hand, that right hand. I had to stop her from screaming. (laughs) The way the characters move in this movie is amazing because there are cuts to different characters within one room, but they're not hard cuts. They make sense because the scene uses wide shots as much as it can. The characters hear a scream coming from the next room over and realize it's Yvette and go and rush to see what's wrong. This is where the characters now find out that Yvette was listening to the entire conversation from the billiards room because, as mentioned before, they're being tape recorded. And she screamed because she also drank the cognac. Wadsworth actually collects those tapes at the end of this scene and it kind of goes it goes with the other evidence that's in the study. Um, these next few scenes are ones where you really need to pay attention to if you're watching and are trying to understand the true, and I say that in air quotes, ending of the movie. Um, Mrs. Peacock is not in the scene where we see Yvette in the billiards room. Now, to keep everyone more safe, they move back to the study from the billiards room because according to Colonel Mustard, there is safety in numbers. When they return to the study, they reveal more information. It's revealed that Wadsworth invited everyone there to help them expose Mr. Body for his blackmail. This is, according to this point in the movie, you know, I don't know how much this actually holds up when we get to the end. But we also find out how Wadsworth is connected to everyone else. Wadsworth's current story is that he was Mr. Body's butler and was forced to work for free with his wife. And they were being blackmailed by Body because... Him and his wife had friends that were... Socialists. And according to Wadsworth, Mr. Body is very patriotic. So he decided to blackmail all these people that work for the government to find out their dirty little secrets and use it against them. To make money. What could be more American than that? They discuss if the murderer could still be in the house, and they realize that the only other person in the house, other than those in the room, is the cook. The cook! This is where we see the reoccurring shot of the character's shoes as they're running down the hallway, which is honestly my favorite little transition. It very much like reminds me of like Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah, it does. It has that kind of vibe. But as they enter the kitchen, they can't find the cook. That is until she falls out of the meat fridge right into Mr. Green's loving embrace. This is the first time that Mr. Green says, I didn't do it. And fun fact, he says this line eight times throughout the movie. And it just becomes one of those reoccurring things. And then they see that 
the cook has been stabbed in the back. So as they're looking at the cook's dead body, a Colonel Mustard bends down and he warns the others, um, don't touch it, it's evidence. Referring to the knife. He says that as he literally grasps the knife in his hand, which is just another one of those uh, moments in the movie where it's just like, Colonel Mustard is high-key a dumbass. And I feel like that's definitely, because like he directs that to Miss Scarlet, and that like I feel like that's what a man would do is like... Yeah. Don't do this thing that I'm doing in this moment as I do it, as I tell you not to do yeah. it. <laughs> it should be noted that Professor Plum and Mrs. Peacock are not in this scene in the beginning. And we're going to point that out um, in each scene, which characters aren't there. Because, again, that comes into play when we're discussing the ending of the movie and who killed who. But they ask who could have killed the cook if no one else is in the house. And Scarlet jokes that, you know, dinner wasn't that bad. <laughs> And defends herself when they're all kind of appalled with her because, you know, somebody's dead. She defends herself, though, saying that comedy is her defense mechanism. And all I can say is, I mean, like, mood. <laughs> Me. That's, yeah. And after that, Mrs. White and Colonel Mustard get into a little bit of an argument. And honestly, Mrs. White has some of the best lines in this movie. Hey, come on. There is only one admitted killer here, and it is certainly not me. It is her. I've admitted nothing. Well, you paid the blackmail. How many husbands have you had? Mine or other women's? Yours. Five. Five. Yes, just the five. Husbands should be like Kleenex. Soft, strong, and disposable. You lure men to their deaths like a spider with flies. Flies are where men are most vulnerable. Right. This episode is mostly going to be some of the greatest hits of this movie's best quotes because it is, it's so worth watching just for the quick humor. These actors really did such a good mm -hmm. job of just like getting through these lines and not having like unnatural pauses where they wait for a laugh, oh, it's so which good. is so common in modern comedies. They'll say a joke and there'll be like this heavy pause where like you would put a laughing yeah. track, which and that's doesn't make it as funny. That's like one of the, my, like, my favorite things about this movie is like if you if you're like not even paying attention just for like half a second you'll miss a joke because that's how quick it is and but it's like it works really well within the context of the movie it's just ah oh, it's so funny and so good um, they decide to bring the cook's body, um, back from the kitchen into the study because Wadsworth likes to keep the kitchen tidy, you know, get it? Cause you know, he's the butler. So as they struggle into the study with the cook's body, surprise, Mr. Body's body, it's gone. As the characters all wonder where Mr. Body could have gone and if he actually was dead, Mrs. Peacock excuses herself to the little girl's room. While she's gone, the characters find an all kind of fight over the pictures of Colonel Mustard while he had visited Miss Scarlet's brothel. Um, she asks Yvette if she wants to see them. So we can kind of assume that Yvette was also in the pictures because we know at this point that Yvette used to work for Miss Scarlet. And at this point, Mrs. Peacock accidentally and literally runs into Mr. Body's now actually dead body in the hall. They fight Mr. Body's dead body off even though he's you know dead dead and during the fight scene over mr body's body like wadsworth is starting to have it with all of these people he's so sick of them all and then he gets hit in the head with a candlestick but it's really interesting that if you're watching the scene the candlestick is above the door the entire time mm -hmm. like you can see it in the shot so as he like gets to his peak anger boink he gets hit in the head. Actually, Dee didn't even notice that the candlestick was up there the first time he watched it because I, I showed him this movie. He was like, no, I don't want to watch it. And then I made him I watch it and he's like, oh my God, I love it. This movie was hilarious, blah, blah, blah. So it just goes to show that I have great taste in movies, obviously. After they bring the bodies back into the study and place them on the sofa, they start to distrust and blame one another for the murders, and this is where they decide to lock up their weapons. When they decide that it's safest to lock up all the provided weapons, they also decide that the key should not be on anyone's person because Wadsworth is originally going to, you know, keep it on him. But they're like, uh, no, sir. When they go to get rid of the key to the cupboard with the weapons, the front door opens as they go to open it without being unlocked. And there's a guest at the door. One who hasn't been invited like the rest of them. That we know of at this time. 
they don't throw the key this time. They do decide to lock this new guest who is pretty much only referred to as the motorist in the lounge. And after they do that, they end up actually throwing the key, but it might not be the right key. Hmm. After throwing away a key and checking on the bodies... They decide to have a drink in the library, and this is where they decide that they need to split up into pairs and search the house to see if the murderer is hiding somewhere. They decide to go to the kitchen to draw sticks to see who would be paired up, and it's kind of funny because each character ends up with someone that they really did not want to get paired up with in the first place. Like, for example, Wadsworth ends up with Mrs. White when earlier in the movie he says, Mrs. White, no man in his right mind would ever be alone with you. And Scarlet ends up with Mustard when they have been kind of fighting this entire movie. The directing of each duo searching the house is actually really awesome camera work because it gives all these different angles and continues to provide this anxiety showing that, like, not only are these characters nervous to be looking for a freaking murderer, but they also, you know, don't trust each other. Within the movie, we go back and forth between each of the pairs as they search different parts of the house. And I like how we're able to see the rest of the house in secret passageways in addition to the iconic rooms. So, um, Mr. Green and Yvette go up to the attic. Wadsworth and Mrs. White search the upper floor. Scarlet and Mustard search the main floor that we're used to, the floor with all of the rooms. And Mrs. Peacock and... Professor Plum searched the basement. Scarlet and Mustard split up briefly when he says he's going to check out another room, while Scarlet has this long shot of her walking across the ballroom to check behind the curtains. And this moment is really important because of the fact that they split up. While Scarlet and Mustard are split up, though, we see a cut out of the house to a cop looking at the motorist's car. And the car is, like, up on a rock somehow, and the motorist is, like, still locked in the lounge. And so the cop is, like, looking at this car and is like, whose fucking car is this? At the same time we see the cop, it cuts back to a gloved hand opening the locked cabinet filled with the weapons. And this is interesting because we as an audience thought that that key was thrown outside. Um, and that gloved hand starts burning the evidence that Wadsworth had of everything the characters had done that led them to be blackmailed. And in that shot, we're able to see a photograph of the motorist and Colonel Mustard next to each other taken during the war, which is a big hint. And not so coincidentally, we cut back to the lounge where the motorist is talking on the phone. We see the fireplace kind of move around a little bit. And, it, like, rotates. Yeah. Yeah. And indicating that it's another secret passageway. And right as the motorist is discussing that one of the guests at the at this house is his old boss from... Da, 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 da. And he's murdered that moment before he can finish the sentence. And he's hit with the wrench, which is... Of course, one of the board game weapons, and it's the weapon that Colonel Mustard was given. It should also be noted which weapons have been used to kill who. So far, we had the revolver shoot at Mr. Body once. We don't know who shot it, mm-hmm. kind of, but it, one bullet has been shot at Mr. Body. We have a candlestick that was used to beat Mr. Body to actually kill him. We have the dagger that was used on the cook, and now we have the uh, the wrench. All of these weapons, you know, belonging to their individual person. Just pay attention to that. We finally see that Mustard and Miss Scarlet have met back up. We don't actually see the moment that they've met back up, but they walk into the conservatory, and when he, they're in there, Mustard wipes his hands... And then leans on a wall and goes through a trapdoor that leads into the lounge where the motorist was. When they find the secret passageway, Colonel Mustard says, I'll go first. I've had a good life. Which is the first time that we've seen that he's been, like, confident about going somewhere in the house. Which is kind of telling, in my opinion. Because in case you haven't noticed, we're very much hinting that he killed the motorist. But we'll find that out later. Yeah, no. Like, it definitely (laughs) looks like he did. I mean, I think that, like... I don't think they actually give that to us. I mean, it depends. We'll talk about the endings anyway. Yeah. But the time that it takes everyone to search the house is very ambiguous. 
we know that there's a time limit within the movie because Wadsworth says so. But we see Scarlet and Mustard split up, then Scarlet by herself, then we see the evidence get destroyed and motorists get killed, and then Mustard is back with Scarlet without seeing them meet up. The motorist is discovered by Scarlet and Mustard, though, and they start screaming, and it gets the attention of everyone throughout the house. And that gives us a hilarious shot of Wadsworth, Mrs. White, Mr. Green, and Yvette accidentally colliding into each other while trying to run downstairs. And it's it's just so funny, because it's like, they hear yeah. Miss Scarlet and Colonel Mustard screaming in the lounge because they found the motorist, and oh, it's just so good. Yeah, and they try to open the door, but no one can open the door. I don't know how doors keep getting locked in movies from both sides. Not how doors work. But there's some really great lines during all of this. The door's locked! I know! Then unlock it! Where's the key? The key's gone! Never mind about the key! Unlock the door! I can't unlock the door without the key! Let us in! Let us in! Let us out! Let us out! Mustard and Scarlet can't get out of the lounge, though. So Yvette goes to try and get one of the weapons to help open the door. But she discovers that the door to the weapons isn't locked anymore. So she grabs the revolver, though, not really dwelling on the fact that she can access the weapons. And she trips over Wadsworth shooting one bullet. And let's keep track of the bullets, people. First, there was a bullet shot. At Mr. Body, the grace is here and lodged itself in the wall. Now there's been a bullet shot at the chandelier. That's one plus one. Now, after she trips over Wadsworth, she aims at the door and shoots twice. Bam, bam, that's two. One of those bullets grazes the colonel. And the colonel complains about this graze and says he can't take any more scares as the chandelier that was shot with the second bullet Falls and breaks, nearly hitting him and Yvette. And it's important to note here that the revolver falls underneath the remains of the chandelier, and it kind of gets forgotten um, because of what happens next. Because Yvette was able to get to the revolver so easily, and, you know, she drops it, of course, but they go to investigate the cabinet where the weapons were and find that it's been unlocked. Yvette says that she had gone over to the cabinet with the intention of breaking it open if she had to, to get the weapon so that she could get them out. And while they're discussing this, the doorbell rings again. Noted, the last person that came to the door after everybody else was there was killed. But they realize that a cop, not the cops though, a single cop has arrived. The only black guy in this movie. So of course he's going to die. <sighs> As the cop arrives, he sees, you know, that the chandelier is broken on the floor. He doesn't know that there's, you know, three bodies dead. They're all quickly shutting the doors where the bodies are, like to the rooms where the bodies are, so that the cop won't see anything. Where Mr. Body's body and the other bodies are. Mr. Body's body and the bodies. The body's bodies. Sounds like a really bad band name. See, yeah, because right now there are, it's the cook and Mr. Body's body. I just love saying that. <laughs> it's the cook and Mr. Body's body in the study. And right across is the motorist body in the lounge. So they put the cop in the library after, like, thinking through what rooms were safe. <laughs> um, which, you know, is one of the only rooms without a dead body, too. And they lock him in. And he's not exactly happy to be locked in by a bunch of strangers, but... And uh, one of my favorite lines of the whole movie is here where Wadsworth warns the cop not to drink the cognac because earlier they thought it might have been poisoned. Just in case... Just in case of what? The way the cop says, just in case of what, like, absolutely kills me. Imagine you had heard someone tell you that, and you're just like, wait, what the fuck? And the cop claims he needs to make a phone call, but as he's in there and everybody, you know, locks him in, there is a phone call, and he answers it, and that phone call ends up being a bit of a plot hole. The cop reveals that the call that he picked up was... From J. Edgar Hoover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that douchebag. <laughs> and when asked why, we get some more supreme line delivery by Wadsworth. Why is J. Edgar Hoover on your phone? I don't know. He's on everybody else's. Why shouldn't he be on mine? And it's interesting because that line insinuates that the house belongs to Wadsworth. 
Because if it's his phone line, you, you know what I'm saying? Also a plot hole. It's like kind of confusing because we don't really know like what happened on the phone call between Wadsworth and J. Edgar Hoover. If you believe the first ending and the second ending, then it makes sense. But the context of the third end, like what's considered the true and final ending, what like why wasn't he suspicious? But the cop does start getting suspicious because... All these strange people. There's a broken chandelier. They're not. They're hiding certain rooms. And he's like, "What the hell is going on here? Like, this makes no sense. This looks like the start of a crime board game." Um, <laughs> and so then we get a bunch of really fun scenes. So because the cops getting suspicious, they decide to make Mister Green give the cop a tour of the other rooms that there hasn't been a murder or a body laid in there. And while they do this, the others start to try to do something with the bodies that makes it look less suspicious. And Wadsworth starts cleaning up the mess of the chandelier and taking this phone call from J. Edgar Hoover. When they do this, though, and like try to move the cop around the certain things they're doing, the cop gets more suspicious and wants to see the rooms that they're avoiding where, you know, the bodies are. And everyone's performing some uh, <laughs> light necrophilia to the tune of Shaboom, as performed by the crew cuts. When we say light necrophilia, we mean that the guests position two of the dead bodies in ways where they can make out with them, and the other they drown in alcohol to give the illusion that he's drunk. And these scenes are so weird, and it's just, like, it's really funny because we can see how horrified their faces are out of shot um, where the cop could see, because they're literally, Mrs. White is making out with Mr. Body's body, and it's just so weird. Um, but they're really funny, and it's it was honestly kind of a good idea. I mean, it throws the cop off. I mean, off. it yeah. works. <laughs> Wadsworth gets off the phone and, like, finishes cleaning up like he has a little broom on him. And he doesn't realize that, like, they've covered up the bodies and, like, have fooled this cop. And it adds to another great interaction. Officer, you're too late. I've seen it all. You have? I can explain everything. You don't have to. I don't. Don't worry. There's nothing illegal about any of this. Are you sure? Of course. This is America. I see. It's a free country. Don't you know that? I didn't know it was that free. When the cop is no longer suspicious, they lock him in the library again so the cop can go ahead with his phone call. More funny moments occur, though, as they start searching as the cop is locked in the library again. It is mentioned here that there are only 15 minutes left until the police arrive as well. So everyone splits up again and goes back to where they were originally searching before the motorist was found dead. And during this time, Scarlet and Mustard find another secret path from the kitchen that leads to the study where the bodies are. While everyone is searching, though, we see a gloved hand turn the power switch so that the power in the whole house goes out. But somehow, this cop, who's on the phone, seems to keep his call going. And it's a landline. They don't have cell phones. I don't know how phone lines worked back in the day. He's not using (laughs) his data, baby. I don't know what kind of phone this is. I don't... I'm pretty sure... Like, I don't know a lot about, like, home phones or, like, landlines, I suppose. Because I was born in an era where, like... Landlines were there, but like you could take them and they didn't have wires. It's common if you still remember landlines. I'm pretty sure they're powered by the electricity of the house. I, 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 I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure that's how it works. While the lights are out, Yvette and the cop are both murdered. Yvette comes down from the attic, splitting up, as most of them keep doing, which, not a good idea. But Yvette is down back into the billiard room and is talking to someone who sounds like a man, but it's unknown. We also learn here that Yvette was not actually French. That's a big shocker, huh? With that <laughs> wow, yeah, wow. That's a great I am a lady. <laughs> After we see Yvette killed, though, the cop is killed with a lead pipe. After he's killed, though, there's a cool set of shots where the sound of the doorbell ringing again alerts everyone and they all get a close-up shot of their various faces in the house and the only light that is shining on them is that from the moon coming through the windows of the rooms that they are in 
and they highlight most of the cast's faces, and it's a really cool shot because they all like all their attention is taken from the bell ringing during those close-up shots of all of their faces. They all look the same except for Colonel Mustard's. Um, that's just like a little like I don't know if it was just like an editing thing. Maybe they didn't get like the right yeah. shot, you know, as they were trying to do it, and they used the shot from like earlier mm-hmm. in the movie. But yeah, when the door is open, though, we don't see who opened it, but we do see this poor singing telegram girl who sings this little song as the door opens, and then she gets murked, and she doesn't even get a tip for her troubles. As the shot goes off, everyone seems to run into different hilarious jump scares and, like, into different obstacles trying to find out what's happened. Green has things fall from a closet onto him. White has a jack-in-the-box open without any, like, turning or provocation, and it's a terrifying jack It's, like, the size of her, and it, like, has an angry clown face on it. It's wild. Wadsworth hears Mrs. White scream because of the jack-in-the-box and goes to find her, but it's still too dark, leading to my favorite part of the movie... When he turns what he thinks is a doorknob to another room, and it's actually a shower. And he just, like, lets himself get sprayed with all this water. And he doesn't flinch. He doesn't move. He just takes it. Like, I don't think I've ever been hit with water and not instantly, like, retracted. And that's ridiculous. He just gave up. He was just like, this might as well happen right now. Yeah. Um, when D first watched that scene, we had to like pause the movie because of how fucking hard he was laughing at that. You laughed for probably a solid, I don't know, oh, no. minute. I was, I, I think, I feel like I got up out you of did. bed just you so did. like I could laugh because it was just, it was too much. Like that just, <laughs> lo- it sent me to another place. Like, but I will say that. After he gets wet, and when he gets sprayed, we also notice that Colonel Mustard gets surprised by the sound of the gunshot, because he's in, uh, I think it's one... The dining room. I can't really... Is it the dining room? pretty sure. Yeah, he's in one of the rooms, and he hears the shot, and he, like, hits his head on whatever he's under. He's, like, under a desk or a table or something, and so, like, all these people are getting surprised by this gunshot, and... I also noticed that after he gets all wet, Wadsworth comes down the stairs and he knows exactly where the power is, which is weird as to why he didn't, you know, turn it on earlier as soon as it got turned off so that he could see where he's going. Well, I mean, like, I have a theory for this. Like, you know, when the power initially goes out, a wind goes through the room where Wadsworth is in and slams the door shut, and he kind of, like, jumps at that. And it's pitch black inside the room, and he can't find his way out. When Mrs. White screams the, for the second time when the jack-in-the-box goes off, that's when he gets trapped in the shower because he's trying to help her. So immediately after that, he runs downstairs all wet to turn the lights back on. Honestly, this happens within, like, a matter of seconds. Like, he really didn't have a a chance to turn the lights back on. You know what? I just think you'd want to try to prove me wrong, but I think I'm right. No, I'm definitely right. (laughs) I've been watching it. I can quote this entire movie. I've been analyzing this movie. You know, a great 90s band, or early 2000s band, once said, Sometimes you're wrong. And sometimes I'm right. This would probably be funnier if I got the reference, but I don't. Because I wasn't a fan of late 90s, early 2000s boy bands, unlike you. You're lost. (laughs) You're lost. Okay. You know what? Why are you hating? Okay. Just because my emo phase went harder than yours doesn't mean you have to be a hater. It doesn't. You don't have to be a hater. Yeah, and there are so many different plot holes that take place in these few scenes alone that we'll acknowledge later. You know, the final true ending of this movie doesn't make a lot of sense, but we'll get to it. It's, we'll we'll point it all out. I just have to mention it in these moments because it's like, it's frustrating. No movie's perfect and no movie I think is completely awful. Of course. But... Back to it, though. As the lights are turned back on by Wadsworth, everyone comes back downstairs, or upstairs, depending on where they were in the house, and they discover that Yvette and the cop are dead. 
their slow, silent walk from each room as they find the bodies is honestly hilarious. They're just so done with everything that's going on that they just, they say nothing as they see the bodies at first. They just kind of, like, wander. (laughs) And they actually say, like, after they discover the singing telegram girl. Three murders. Six altogether. This is getting serious. And it... I'm just going to say that, like, based on where they were in the house and where they come up or down from, it only makes sense that these three people were murdered by either Scarlet or Mustard. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah. It doesn't, like, it's impossible for them to move this fast. These people aren't, this house is echoey, it's loud, and, like, I would have liked to see an ending where Mustard did them all. Because I feel like it's definitely possible. I would believe it more. I would. Believe I would have it believed more. it more too. But now it's time to get extremely confused because this is where, within the movie, Wadsworth explains everything. Yep. It's like what we do, but in the movie, and in even more detail, <laughs> to the point where it like yeah. they, he starts to annoy everyone else. It goes from what happened that night from the beginning. And I'm just going to say that Tim Curry deserves a motherfucking Oscar. I mean, just in general, but honestly, based off of this scene alone. deserves an Oscar. This sequence does a great job showing the entire house once again, just to, like, give us a reminder. But at the same time, poor Mr. Green (laughs) is just getting thrown around like a prop by Wadsworth as he's showing... Everybody, what happened, even though they were all there. And this is another instance where we see more of the shot of their feet as they run down the hall, along with the great upbeat score playing in the background as they go over the night's events. It's revealed Mustard has a top secret Pentagon job, and one of Mrs. White's husbands was a nuclear physicist. Yvette was a link between them because she had had an affair with Mrs. White's husband and had slept with Mustard at Scarlet's brothel. Professor Plum asks what he his top secret job at the Pentagon was. Can you keep a secret? Yes, second on It wasn't bad luck that the motorist cop and singing telegram girl came to the house, though. They were involved in everything, too. Wadsworth said that everyone there that night was either Mr. Body's victim or accomplice, and everyone who has died gave him vital information about the six main characters. This is also the part of the movie where we learn why Colonel Mustard was really getting blackmailed. He was a war profiteer. The motorist worked for him and squealed on him to Mr. Body. We also learn that the cop that was killed was on Scarlet's payroll and was beaten, bribed to make sure that she wasn't getting raided or nothing. It's then revealed that Plum was having inappropriate relations with the singing telegram girl who used to be one of his patients which is one of the reasons he got fired. And it's revealed that she informed on him to Mr. Bobby. It's at this point that the doorbell rings again, and a man who appears to be some sort of missionary is at the door trying to spread the word of Jesus Christ. And Mrs. Peacock slams the door in his face. Uh, Wadsworth gets to the point in his recap about the power going out and switches off the electricity again. This moment serves as a transition from the regular movie and the canon storyline to one of the three alternate endings. And here we go, guys. I hope y'all are able to keep up with this because this is where we get into, like, the plot holes and stuff. So ending number one, that's how it could have happened. In this ending of Clue, the first people that are killed were actually killed by Yvette. So she killed Mr. Body and the cook. Then, after that, Scarlet killed the motorist, Yvette, the cop, and the telegram girl. She knew to kill them based off of the pictures from the evidence that she had burned earlier in the film. And Yvette was working for her. And Scarlet was, you know, telling her to kill these people. As Wadsworth reveals this... He comes to the realization that whoever has killed all of these people will have the gun that was dropped under the chandelier. 
Because it's missing. And it's a common theme that... Whoever has the gun is the murderer because the revolver is missing. And this is one of the common themes that appear in every ending. So, Wadsworth has everyone turn out their pockets, has all the ladies empty their purses. And it comes out that Scarlet, who Wadsworth was definitely eyeing a little bit more than the rest of the people is the person with the gun. Scarlet likes knowing secrets. It's how she likes to make a little extra cash, because if you know secrets, as Mr. Body found out, you get to blackmail people and make a little bit of extra dinero. They claim that she's a spy, she's a communist, etc., etc., but she claims that she's a capitalist, and communism is just a red herring. That line is another common theme in all three of the endings as well. And she threatens Wadsworth with the gun, and Wadsworth claims that the gun is out of bullets. There was one shot at Mr. Body in the study, two for the chandelier, two at the lounge door, and one for the singing telegram. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. Uh Uh-uh. There was only one shot that got the chandelier. That's one plus two plus one plus one. Even if you were right, that would be one plus one plus two plus one, not one plus two plus one plus one. Okay, fine. One plus two plus one. Shut up! During this little argument, she gets distracted by the bell ringing again, and this is where Wadsworth overpowers her as the police come rushing in. And we find out that the missionary from before is actually the chief of police. Essentially, Wadsworth is a cop. This is one of the endings that allows the part where Wadsworth gets a phone call from J. Edgar Hoover actually makes sense because if he's a cop he works with the fbi he's it makes sense that he would get a call from j edgar yeah. hoover right but we'll have to explore that with the other endings as well this ending makes sense as well because scarlet does not appear in some of the scenes earlier on in the movie she could have been able to kill the people that she did because she was also on the floor, like the main floor where all the rooms were. So she had access mm-hmm. to the evidence. She was able to get to the motorist and the cop and, you know, Yvette easily. And she could have turned off the lights, too. So this ending does make a lot of sense. So yeah. after she gets arrested, it cuts to this title card that says, that's how it could have happened. But how about this? And then it goes into ending number two. So in this alternative ending that is another possible one, it turns out that Mrs. Peacock killed everyone. It started with the cook, and she did that because the cook was her old cook. Wadsworth figures that out because of what they had for dinner. Yeah, the thing they ate at dinner was monkey's brains. I don't know about you. I personally haven't had a lot of monkey's brains in my lifetime. But, like, that's what they had for dinner, and apparently it's one of Mrs. Peacock's favorite dishes, Mm -hmm. leading Wadsworth to the conclusion that the cook used to be Mrs. Peacock's cook, and the cook was who was spying on Mrs. Peacock for Mr. Body. Once everybody found out that Peacock was taking these bribes for her husband because she's a senator's wife or whatever, she decided that she needs to take care of everybody. Because she valued her and her husband's position. So everybody who knew too much could talk too much. It had nothing to do with Mrs. White's disappeared uh, nuclear physicist husband or Colonel Mustard's work on the fusion bomb. Which that, again, is a common theme throughout the endings. And then, once again, we learn that, you know, communism is just still a red herring, apparently. But Wadsworth also tells Peacock that the police were never called, allowing her to potentially leave. Which isn't true, but Peacock doesn't know that at the time. She chooses to believe it. Um, He pretends to approve of Mrs. Peacock getting rid of all the people who were accomplices of Mr. Body, to just stack all the bodies in the cellar and leave quietly one by one. He was obviously just lying to stall in this moment and give Peacock a chance to leave the house. They start singing for She's a Jolly Good Fellow as she's walking out the door, which is honestly hilarious. And as as soon as she closes the door, they immediately, like, they falter. (laughs) Yeah, and Green repeats once again. I told you I didn't do it. (laughs) Apparently he thought he was a suspect the whole time, but, like, nobody thought you did it, my (laughs) guy. Yeah, literally. (laughs) You were the probably the least suspected this whole time. As Peacock leaves, though, things are still kind of confusing. 
we don't understand a few things like why J. Edgar Hoover called the house or, you know, why Peacock was allowed to just leave, why everybody didn't fight a little bit more or if she's going to start blackmailing people. Until Wadsworth does start to clear things up. And it actually turns out that in this ending, Wadsworth is still part of the FBI. And Professor Plum asks if everything that Peacock has done, like taking bribes and trading information, is going to be covered up. And he has just another great line that the writers included. But is the FBI in the habit of cleaning up after multiple murder? Yes. Why do you think it's run by Michael Hoover? So the FBI catch Peacock and arrest her outside of the house, right by her car. But in the original ending of this scene, Peacock was supposed to have been shot by the chief of police twice, killing her. Um, But this was deemed way too dark for the comedic tone of the movie, so they instead had Eileen Brennan, who had played Peacock, record the iconic line, Take your hands off me, I'm a senator's wife! So that concludes that ending, And it cuts to yet another title card that says, but here's what really happened. And this is supposedly the true ending of the movie. But as Wadsworth says, let's examine each murder one by one. In this ending, it was Professor Plum who killed Mr. Body. So Plum knew that Mr. Body was alive when he first checked his body after the gun had been shot in the dark. He was the one who fired the revolver and tried to kill him the first time, but he missed. Mr. Body knew that his plan had backfired and someone was trying to kill him, so he pretended to be dead. And Plum played along so that he could kill him later unobserved. Also remember, Plum was missing earlier in the scene where they found the cook dead. Then... Mrs. Peacock is who killed the cook. Obviously, as mentioned before in the previous ending, because the cook informed on her to Mr. Body. Colonel Mustard had killed the motorist. So we learn that Mustard switched the key from Wadsworth's pocket when they were all huddled at the door when the motorist arrived, and when he split up from Scarlet when they were searching each of the rooms, he grabbed the wrench, went through the secret passageway, and killed the motorist for obvious reasons mentioned before. Mrs. White is the one who turned off the power, and she killed Yvette. So she was obviously jealous that Yvette had had an affair with her husband, and it's revealed that she definitely did kill her husband. That is, again, obvious throughout the film, too. Um, However, if we go back to that scene, Mrs. White is clearly upstairs and screaming at the moment where Yvette goes back downstairs to the billiard room where she was killed. So it's kind of impossible for Mrs. White to have killed Yvette when we see her upstairs before. But again, we'll get to that in a couple seconds. There's a great line during this as like she's being revealed to have (laughs) killed Yvette and why she did it. Yes. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much it, it, the, it flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breath. And fun fact, Madeline Kahn improvised that line, and it's, it's so good. It's then revealed that Miss Scarlet is the one who killed the cop that she was bribing. And yeah, she kills him because she had been bribing him, and she killed him with the lead pipe. And then, in this ending, Wadsworth killed the singing telegram. So, Mr. Green gets blamed for this at first. But, as he's been saying throughout the entire movie, I didn't do it! And points out, yet again, whoever has the revolver is the murderer. And this is where it's revealed that Wadsworth was Mr. Body the whole time. He had basically... Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) Jesus Christ. He had basically manipulated all of them into killing off his informants. Plum accidentally killed his butler, who for some reason was going along with being Mr. Body. Like, this had never made sense to me. Um, Again, it makes no sense within the context of what we see before in the film that Wadsworth killed the singing telegram girl. When we see... Because he was up. Yeah, when we see the girl (laughs) get shot, literally right afterwards, we see Wadsworth trying to help Mrs. White and running downstairs to turn the power back on. 
it, it just doesn't make sense, but we'll get to that in a second, too. Um, it had nothing to do with it, Mustard's job or Mrs. White's husband in this ending, either. It's not my favorite ending, personally, but one thing that does stay consistent is that communism is still a red herring. Yep. In this ending, though, the FBI still comes. Except Mr. Green is the FBI agent, and he kills Wadsworth. And you'll just, you'll just go on blackmailing us all. Of course. Why not? Well, I'll tell you why not. <laughs> Good shot, Green. Getting a very nice compliment as he does so. Mr. Green explains then that he is, uh, he was planted there to get the lowdown on Mr. Body. Mr. Green reveals that the phone call from J. Edgar Hoover was actually meant for him. And right after he says yet again for the last time, I told you I didn't do it. He opens up the door and a flood of police officers come running in along with the police chief. Once the chief is there, Mr. Green reveals that they all did it. Everybody killed somebody else. He doesn't say this, of course, but, like, we've already gone through who killed who and who did what and why, and I I guess maybe this ending is convoluted, but Mr. Green killed Mr. Body in the hall with the revolver, which they say it in the movie the same way that you're supposed to say it in the game when you figured out the crime and who done it and all that. And then we get the worst reveal of all for this last timeline when Mr. Green says, I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife as another great 50s doo-wop-ish song plays. And I like this ending the least because Mr. Green is not gay in it, which, like, what's the point? And while some of the kills may make sense and, like, everybody did something and everybody's guilty, it also makes Wadsworth into the bad guy, and I can't have that. Like, doesn't rock with me. I, I like Wadsworth being the good guy. Yeah. And all the endings allow Mr. Green to be a good guy, too, which I also enjoy. So this is this is not this is not my favorite ending, but it is what it is. Yeah, and listen, this is my all-time favorite standalone film. It's hilarious, it has a good plot, and it's unique because of the three endings gimmick, in my opinion. But I will be the first one to admit that this final, like, true ending is the one that makes the least amount of sense. I, I don't see how it was possible for Mrs. White and Wadsworth to kill the people that they did, and I also don't understand why Mr. Body would have just gone along with what Wadsworth was saying about him blackmailing them all earlier in the movie when Mr. Body was really Wadsworth's butler and it was Wadsworth who was really Mr. Body, like we said before. Very convoluted. And why would... <laughs> And why would Mr. Green be getting blackmailed if he wasn't gay, but he got a letter saying that he I mean, was gay, and that's why he's being blackmailed? I guess... I don't know. I guess there might be a different way to, like, interpret that last line. Like, maybe he actually was gay, and because he kind of had, like, mentioned... Like how he mentioned before, he had to kind of keep up appearances. He's like, well, if people find out that I'm gay, then, you know, I'll lose my job on security grounds. So maybe that line is really just, like, him still playing into that, or he has to pretend. Like, maybe he really means, you know, but... It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't play, play like that, that at all like, either. He says it and then they end and it looks like a pause moment and it's. Yeah. And it's like, oh, also they, it could also be like, because he was a plant, they were like, let's say they were tracking down, the FBI was tracking down Mr. Body and they were trying to figure out like his crimes. So maybe they planted him in there, made it seem like he was gay and, you know, like maybe they set it up for that, you know? So that's just. That's that's one of my theories. But yeah, so that was Clue, 1985. Please go watch it it's again if you haven't seen it. It's, my, again, my favorite movie of all time. It's amazing, even it's, if it gets a little confusing at the end, but it's so good. Yeah, like, it, it doesn't have the best ending ever, but it's, you know, it's fun the whole time oh, yeah. till it gets there, and it's like... 
it's based off a board game. Like a mat, like it, this is like making Monopoly into a movie, and I'm maybe they have, I don't know, but for a movie that is like the first to do something like this, I think that they did a very oh, good yeah. job. You know, I I don't see like what the producers' meeting was like when they were like, "Hey, what if we made a movie out of a board game?" Like what the what? Uh, that being said, though. All of that, this is a great movie. I love this movie. I watch it with Caster whenever they ask me to. <laughs> we'll probably watch We watch it, I would say, like, every once every few months. We've watched it, I think, like, four times now. At least yeah. four times, if not counting more for, like, the podcast and stuff. Yeah. But here at Pop Ticket, after we watch movies and talk about them with you, we like to give them a star rating based off of five topics that we've picked those topics are the plot the acting the writing the directing and the ending no matter how many of them (laughs) there are so after averaging out all of the ratings that i gave for the five categories i ended up giving the overall movie a 4.5 out of five because honestly it's so good like i The plot is awesome. The camera work is great. It's just... Honestly, the only thing that really, like, kind of kills it is the the last ending for me. But even then, it's just... It's still so good. Even with the plot holes and all. It's an amazing movie. And I agreed. Um, For my star rating, I gave it a four stars. Which is crazy because it got a higher rating than my favorite movie. (laughs) But I do think that when we're looking at movies, you know, especially movies of different categories, we have to look at them differently. And I think that for a comedy movie, for like a mystery comedy also, this movie is one of those movies that's almost as good as it gets. And I love it. I've loved watching it. I've loved doing it for this podcast. And yeah, that's Clue, everybody. In two weeks' time... Our next movie will be one that is very relevant to the things going on in the news today. We will be watching Queen and Slim, one of my favorite movies that came out in 2019. Castor and I saw it together on their last visit to see me in California, and it's it's a hard watch, but it's definitely worth it, so... After listening to this episode about Clue, if you guys want to go watch it, please do. This movie is definitely worth supporting and worth talking about. That episode is coming out on June 29th. If you want to interact with us and stay updated on all things Pop Ticket, visit our website, popticketpod.com, and go to the Contact Us page to see all of our social media. If you would like to help support Pop Ticket, you can donate to us by going to our website and clicking on Donate to find our Patreon, or you are able to donate from our homepage on our host website on Anchor. Any amount is appreciated and comes with different perks. A portion of the top donation tier will be donated to different organizations each month. If you enjoy listening, another way to help Pop Ticket is to leave us good reviews and follow us on whatever platform you use, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can even subscribe to us and like the videos on YouTube. We appreciate any and all support. Music created by Mark E. Beats. You can find him on SoundCloud or on Instagram at Mark underscore Daniels 3. Our art logo was created by at Lil underscore Draws Art on Twitter. Pop Ticket was created by Caster and D. Bros and is edited by D. Bros. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.